1: Welcome to Remote Controlled. I'm Deborah Burnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you in conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking about the final season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with creator Aline Brosh McKenna and star Rachel Bloom. And then in the second half of the podcast, we'll check in with producer Ben Winston about his new sitcom, Happy Together, and Late Late Show with James Corden.
3: Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to Remote Controlled Variety's television podcast. I'm Danielle Terciano, Associate Features Editor in Television. And today we have Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, co-creator and showrunner, Eileen Brosh McKenna, and co-creator and star, Rachel Bloom. Welcome, guys. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Thanks for thank having you. us. Thank you for
2: um, pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> Did I tell you a story? One time um, I went to Benihana with my family, and they were calling out the table, and they called out... Mena, uh-huh. A-Line, and I got up and instantly. And my kids were like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's me.
3: <laughs> I will just say there is a, not to get too off topic right away, but there yeah. is a YouTube clip that says how to pronounce your name, and it is way off. It's a joke. Okay. And some oh. friends paid, like, $5
2: to do that as a joke. Okay. Yeah. At least you're aware. Yes. Um,
3: so we're, we're heading into the fourth and final season yes. of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and we're very sad about it. Um, tell me a little bit about... What made four the number for you guys?
2: Rachel just felt she couldn't work with me any longer than that. I just
0: can't. She's (laughs) she's so extra. Um, We just, when we went through the phases of romantic obsession, really, and coming out the other side of it, it was four. Yeah, we should
2: go back. You know, I have our first four or five meetings. We had a writer's assistant there. And, um, I have all those notes, and we yep. should look they there it's- It's remarkably accurate to what we you know we we pitched it out like a movie, we did cards. I have the cards too like we we really conceived of it beginning, middle, and end, and I think we both felt like um the two things we agreed on sort of in the macro level were we didn't want to overstay our welcome, and we didn't want to become a different show because that sometimes is a way of shows extending their life as they sort of pivot into something else. And we really knew this was just going to be about this period in this girl's life where she's subject to a very intense romantic obsession and then recovers from it, which I think, you know, I always say to Rachel, like, it, it's sort of when you sit down, you meet a girlfriend for the first time and and you say, ugh, there was this guy. And everyone we knew had a story. Like, I had a friend who um, said to me once, oh, my God, I ran into my ex-boyfriend. I said, where? And she said, in his driveway. <laughs> And I was like, what were you doing in his driveway? And she said, I was going rollerblading, and he said I could park there. And I was like, A, you don't rollerblade. <laughs> B, it was like Thursday at 11, tons of
0: parking. But, you know, we've all said those really super transparent things. And because you have to lie to yourself because yes. you know how pathetic it sounds. And that's really what inspired the first season, mm-hmm. which was uh, denial. denial. And so that we could wait until season two to really get into, okay, but seriously, we're in love.
2: Mm-hmm. And every finale progresses too. So the end of the first season is I moved here for you. And the end of the second season is Josh Jan must die. And those are both pretty much in our original Mm -hmm. pitch. Mm -hmm. And then the end of the third season, which was, I plead guilty that, that the the third end of the third season, we did have something where there was a prison thing, but it was slightly different originally the way we talked about it. And then the end of the fourth season, we, I would say that's probably the one that we've known kind of the best. And I think it's sort of like, I always picture landing a vault. You know, when you watch those ladies land a vault (laughs) and you're like, they've done 17 things before they landed it. And that's what we're going to try and do. And I think the key to a vault, I'm going to say knowing nothing about it is, you know, planning ahead. And so we, Rachel and I talk about this show an obsessive amount. Um, And, and, and particularly about the thematics and what the show is saying, what the show
0: believes and thinks. Um, so, yeah. And also, the key to landing a vault is even if you've fucked up stuff before it, you got to land and land strong. <laughs> and run real fast before you jump. And run real fast. Yeah. I
2: don't, I don't know I don't what that means. means. I don't
0: know what I, I don't mean. mean.
3: It, I hope we won't have fucked stuff up means. before it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you obviously mentioned prison at the end of season three. I mean, Rebecca really takes responsibility. Yeah. She, it looks like she's heading to prison. Um, how does this affect. How fast you have to move through time in season four in order to? It's a pretty much a. It's a pretty close direct pickup. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I guess in terms of emotionally, where she is in in season four. I mean, is she?
2: Well, she's decided to take responsibility, and so that is a pretty much a, the focus of the first half of the season. Is to, what does that mean?
0: It People me- say yeah, that. Yeah. Right. What does it that also mean? Means taking responsibility for her life and for her happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about owning up to sins, taking responsibility is really being fully present in what you are doing in your life and taking back control. No, no, this is my life. This is my fate. I'm not going to let other forces determine it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're not going to, you know, you're not going to let this is something that happens to me. You know, life isn't something that happens to you.
0: Mm -hmm. How does that
3: affect your performance? Are you you embodying her physicality or anything differently for this quote-unquote new Rebecca.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really let, I'm lucky in that I let, I I know what we want, and so it, it's kind of become synonymous with the acting in, in, mm. in some ways. Um, but, because she's not new Rebecca, she's she's trying, I mean, that's the thing, is I think the, the physicality of it is someone who is struggling to do the things she knows she wants to do, but not knowing how mm. to do it. And so it's not like she's a new character. She's just, it, it almost feels like, I mean, this is going to sound a little weird, but it almost feels like I'm playing Rebecca trying to become Rachel <laughs> okay. in some weird ways because Rachel at this point is, is way happier and more settled than Rebecca. Not that Rachel doesn't have problems. And so it's an interesting blend. There have definitely been some scenes that feel like I'm closer to playing myself.
3: Mm-hmm. No, you're also writing and directing an episode this season. Yeah. Is is the process different for you when you're writing for yourself, directing yourself? Well, you haven't directed yet. No, I
0: mean, the the, the writing process is Aline and I will always do a pass of every script, and we will always be writing for myself. I think the difference was this was the first time I went through what the writers go through, which is doing a draft on your own, showing it to Aline, who's the showrunner, getting her thoughts, doing a rewrite with Aline, seeing your words go through changes mm-hmm. and and get rewritten and so it really gave me an um a unique insight into the full process from yeah. start to finish and then as far as directing that's not coming up for a while but i'm already i'm i'm trying my best to shadow and observe in ways that i haven't you know ask the dp okay how much did you discuss this shot with the directors beforehand mm-hmm. is this your shot how much did you guys plan and i'm learning a lot mm-hmm. all the episodes
2: are um rewritten by rachel and i but they're also rewritten by the room Mm -hmm. and having your script rewritten by the room is you know it's tough and you have to um pitch and you have to try and get things past you know 10 really smart people and um i the script is up on a screen and my keys are on the computer and Um, Rachel and I have written many of the scripts together and I think there was a, there's a little bit of more of a buffer there, but Rachel did an amazing job with her draft and we rewrote it together. And then the room rewrite is, is just a, it's a rite of passage for anybody who writes on a television show. Um, and you know, the, the great stuff stands up and is there and remains there. And, um, but it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful thing about television, which is. Especially comedy I don't know every every show is different, but having to stand up to the rigors of a bunch of other writers, and also knowing you know there were moments where Rachel and I at a certain point we just we just took the draft back and said no this is this is great. we got everybody's feedback and we inc- inculcated a lot of it and then this is how we see the episode, this is how Rachel sees the episode and I think one of the things you'll see in Rachel's performance always is she's crafted the stories with me and with the room. And so it's a different, I think it's a diff you're watching a different kind of performance. I was just thinking the other day when I was watching you on set, like I can see Rachel thinking through what something is supposed to be because she made it. And I, I do think that there is an appreciable difference. And when I, you know, I think of some of the writer directors, especially that I love, you know, if they're also performers and they're performing their own material, there's just a certain level of, of understanding um, which I think sometimes confuses people a little bit but you know one of the signature Rachel's signature qualities she's maybe the smartest actor I've ever met she's really brilliant and oh. so she doesn't really we don't have the I don't we don't have the process where like I have to explain to Rachel what's happening you know I mean <laughs> yeah. that you know what I mean or why something's happening mm-hmm. or say to her hey this is happening six episodes from now um, and that I I actually don't think I would ever do a show again where there wasn't at least one actor who was in both rooms because Rachel's also a real... Oh, yeah. I don't think I'd ever do that again, even if it was not the lead because Rachel bridges Mm -hmm. those two environments and understands what the cast is going through and what they need, and she's in both rooms, Mm -hmm. and they trust our room more because they know Rachel is there, and they're coming in, and there's one of them there, and so that, that linkage of the writing with the acting... And the fact that, you know, any actor anytime can email me or Rachel and say, why Why am I doing this? And mm-hmm. they get that sort of direct. We don't have anybody on our set going, I don't know what I'm doing here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, something interesting that I found about the, how the writing and acting intersect last season is, um, and I'm trying to streamline this with the other notes I send to Lean this season, but what I do is I go through the script and I read <laughs> through the entire script and that's when I prep. That's when I do all my actor prep. That's when I, like, break down the scenes. That's when I to my beats. I still do that even with you know episodes that I've had a heavy sure. hand in writing. And what I find is when you're actually getting to the emotional swing, you'll see, oh, you know what? There's a little gap in this part or oh, this actually right. doesn't make sense when I say it out loud and we'll I'll give writing notes based on the intuitive kind of acting breakdown of the scenes yeah, and that's she'll just come so to me helpful. and say i want to say i'm going to the movies she wants to say okay i'm going to the
2: movies but it's not even just but it's but it's, it's sometimes it's that sometimes it's like you don't and and i think that for actors sometimes it's hard when they don't like when you do work for hire when you're just get cast in a part and show up i was just thinking the other day it'll be very hard for you because you know in our process you're able to say like oh you know what here she's sad but then mm-hmm. here she makes a joke like i need something to we need to write something here to get her from here to there and i know that for a lot of actors who don't have that ability imagine how frustrating that is it's a little bit more like theater mm-hmm. where you just get your text and you got to figure it out you can't change it yeah um but the great thing about our you know our process is you know whenever rachel feels like Something needs to be adjusted. We can adjust it. Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes it'll come out through not looking at it as a writer, but approaching mm-hmm. it as an actor. And oh, my character's saying this in this scene. I realize we had taken out the line that justified this in the previous scene. Mm-hmm. Like you start to see the thread because you're you're crafting an emotional arc mm-hmm. every episode.
3: So as I mean, as we go into the final season, it's not obviously it's not just Rebecca. There's a lot of really great characters to service. What's the balance? like for you guys in terms of who to service when so that everyone kind of gets their sense. It's
2: it's really hard, but you know what it is? It's theme. Mm -hmm. Um, And the episodes this season is a little bit more like the first season in that everything has a really strong thematic um, direction to it. And so when we're thinking about the themes it becomes easier to plug in to which character would be going through this type of a journey and it's something that we keep in mind. And look, we love I mean... We love our cast so much, and that's not just the seven regulars, but, you know, the sort of revolving cast of 20 people or so that's on our show, and we would love to do episodes for every single one of them every week. Yep, we really would.
3: And, I mean, obviously, you guys have talked about bringing Greg back in a reimagined way. Um, What other threads or characters or jokes do you want to call back to?
0: Oh, my God, there's so much. I mean... Oh, I mean, we also, I mean, reprises are, I mean, just talking about reprises, we have a hundred, we'll have like 120 songs, you know, to bring back in reprise. That's an infinite amount of, oh, okay, there's a connection in this scene to that song we did in season one episode seven do we do a reprise here i mean there there are i
2: did want to say this i was thinking i've not said this publicly and i did want to say this for the fans rachel is your friend she always wants to bring a call back but she always remembers what a character Mm -hmm. said and did before she always remembers a reprise she always wants to bring those things back she is your person (laughs) for that and i'm more the one who's like well maybe they've forgotten that or they don't remember you know i don't i don't like to experience TV shows where I feel like I'm out of the loop if I missed a little bit. Um, so I'm often trying to like not assume that people have, but Rachel,
0: I don't you care. like, if you like, truly if don't you care. like callbacks and in jokes, Rachel's got your back. I like institutional memory. I like callbacks and in jokes. I watch TV like a fan of TV I don't think this would be a weird show to watch on and off, um, and I have no sympathy for those who are casual viewers. Okay, fair get it together. I don't care. Start watching. Truly, don't care. Well, I mean, it is Game of Thrones doesn't care. They're like no. Lord Sassafras, Don't you remember that you killed the ball with your foot? And it's like, oh, you I should think I remember Ga- that happening watching, in season
2: one. Watching Game of Thrones with me is like, who is that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who's yeah that? so if Game of Thrones, you know, and we have about the same ratings, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, right, you know, Very game of, similar
0: us and Game of Thrones, yeah. are like pretty much um same have amount the same, of merch, same amount of merch <laughs> same.
3: when you guys yeah. look at I mean, it isn't it's an eighteen episode final season, yeah. yeah um you guys haven't had the same amount every every year no. does that does that break down differently when you know, okay, we've got a longer time to tell this we idea. went into
0: season four thinking it was 13 and then we had a fun surprise <laughs> of finding out it was 18 and if you
2: divide 18 by 62 you get 30 something which yeah. is about the percentage we have left 30 some percentage of it.
0: yeah yeah when you said that we have we still have a little less than a third left of the show to make wow. we all lay down on the ground and took him a nap yep so what I mean,
3: what does that do for you in terms of like you've had this plan in your head, this four season, you know how it ends? How does that extend? What you gotta you add
0: some stuff. You gotta. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's been a little bit figuring. Okay, do we put? Is there an episode where we kind of carry the plot through here, and then invariably, you know, every episode there has to be some sort of at least emotional shift, and so we're we're figuring it out. It ultimately doesn't affect the overall arc of the season, and it actually later in the season gives us a chance to do a mini arc that we had not been able to do in when it was originally 13 which i'm really excited about so i think it's going to be great and it just gives us more time together but also they're calling this tca tour crazy ex-girlfriend the final curtain call we have (laughs) we did the math we still have about 28 songs left to write
2: this isn't a curtain call
0: call are redundant and rebecca bunch would be really upset about it i'm
2: yeah rachel bloom is not (laughs) thrilled she doesn't like um yeah redundancies
3: Amy Sherman Palladino famously used to say she always knew the last four words of Oh Gilmore yeah. girls. Do you know the last scene? Yeah, we do know the last
2: scene. We don't know the last words. We don't okay. know the last. We well, we kind of do. We kind of do. Is we
3: there
2: pitched. There are
0: six words that we pitched as the last yes. words that I think will be the last words. Yes. Is so there, we that's do that's actually possible. know the, last, we know the last six words. She's counting. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, 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 uh,
3: yeah, six words. Yep. Yep. Is there anything we should can just do that? Tip it. Since we, tip to it. Tease to it.
0: No. Um no. Okay. Too we early. Wouldn't. We wouldn't. I just I just it's it's honestly the I think if we're doing our jobs right, we're not going for a lost thing, right? We're not going for a big twist. We're we we want you to feel by the end of the show that this is not a huge shock what's going to happen. It's going to be organic to what we've done. And so I don't want to give it away just because... What about a that hatch this- in episode 11? <laughs> what? The hatch t- in episode 11. Oh, my 11? God, Helene, that's the first actual Lost reference I've ever...
2: <laughs> yeah, so we master. do have a
0: hatch. We do have a wheel that changes time. Sure. Um, but other than that, you know, Desmond Hume is still my constant. Sure. Excellent. Well,
3: thank you guys thank so much you. for being Thank you. Now, Thank you. Thank you.
1: So that was what Aline and Rachel had to say about the final season of Crazy X. Up next, we catch up with producer Ben Winston about working with James Corden and his new sitcom, Happy Together. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and I'm here with Ben Winston.
4: Hello. Very nice to be with you.
1: Good to have you. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So first, let's just talk about Happy Together. Yeah. Because there's an interesting backstory to this project. There um, is. Why don't you lay it out? How did it all come together?
4: Well, it came together in... Um well, I'll take it back to the to the original story of what it was sort of what our sitcoms sort of very loosely based on. Um, I was directing and producing a lot of One Direction's content, whether it be their movie with Columbia Pictures, which I produced, or I directed a lot of their music videos. Um, and uh, Harry Styles, who obviously is a member of such the, the the wonderful band one direction i've heard of them. Uh, yes exactly and uh, and you know i'd become quite close to all the boys uh and they were actually all living together at the time but it just got to the stage where they were going to buy their own houses and move out of the flats that they've all been living in because they were becoming far bigger than i think any of us could have ever predicted those who were, of us who were working with them and harry sort of very informally said to me one day look you know i've bought this house uh but it's going to take a couple of weeks to go through um do you think there's any chance that I could stay in your spare room at your house? And I said, well, Harry, I've only I've only got an attic, if I'm honest, because it was a very, to sort of picture the scene, it was a very modest suburban house in a place called Hampstead Garden Suburb, which I guess the outskirts of Encino would probably be uh, the closest sort of comparison, really. Um, it was a very residential street. No one would ever have imagined that Harry... Was sort of living in our attic there but we had an attic and we had a sort of air mattress and he said could i stay a couple of weeks i went home i said to my wife meredith would it be okay if harry lived with us for a little bit she had only met him once and she was like well i mean i don't <laughs> i don't mind a couple of weeks but no more than that um and, and how cu- long
1: did that last well it lasted 18 months <laughs> yeah.
4: he lived with us secretly with nobody ever knowing for 18 months and um
1: how did he get away with it how did no one spot him in the neighborhood
4: well Uh, Well, people knew I worked with the band. So if our neighbours saw him or whatever, they just thought it was a friend popping in. They didn't necessarily know he was living there. Um, At night, he would make sure that if he was leaving a concert or leaving a restaurant or wherever, the paparazzi, he'd always lose them before he came home. So sometimes it would take him a long time to get home because he never wanted to be tracked. And I think people just would never have ever expected him to be living there. So therefore, they never suspected it. And it was a really beautiful time. He is the most wonderful guy you could ever meet, the kindest, most impressive, talented guy. Um, And two weeks turned into maybe till christmas and then there was renovations he wanted to have on the house and then that took a lot longer as it always does and i think he felt that you know his family were up north in in sort of the manchester area that's four hours down the road so he as a 18 year old boy um you know didn't have his family with him and you know he'd stopped living with the boys who'd all found their own houses to live in and so i think he probably just felt he liked the home life um and it was you know i didn't have a child at the time and i always say that i had a teenager before i had a baby (laughs) Um, and uh, and it was a really wonderful time uh together um what was the experience like of having him in the house oh it was just great i mean he's there isn't a more better house guest you could possibly have uh one direction and work was never allowed to be discussed in the house i was really like you know we wanted him to have an environment however big they were getting that he could have normality at home um And it became a really lovely thing. And the truth of it is we never really ever talked about it until he did an interview with Rolling Stone magazine uh, and Cameron Crowe did an interview with him and he talked quite a lot about that period of time in his life and how living in normality really uh, was a wonderful thing. And the two of us, with our friends at Three Arts, Jonathan Berry and Michael Rottenberg, we sort of thought, well, this is is quite a funny sitcom potentially. Um, The truth of it is there's very very little that's based on reality the concept of Harry living with us is the concept that inspired the show but uh, apart from that it's creative writing Tim McAuliffe and Austin Earl are our showrunners and creators and they're doing a brilliant job to create characters you know Damon Wayans Jr. really is very little like me and Felix Mallard who plays Cooper is very nothing like Harry um So I think, you know, when I say it's loosely inspired by the story, that is the truth. It really is very, very loosely inspired. There's there's very little reality in there. But it gave us the seeds of this is a funny concept, a normal, boring couple living with a rock star who's hiding out in their attic for an extended period of time. And the fun that you can have, he is looking at them as a couple and saying, I want stability and calm and normality and they're looking at him saying i want excitement and youth and that juxtaposition in a home uh, has created a really exciting funny and I hope Charming sitcom that we're premiering on October the first on CBS at eight thirty.
1: Nice plug. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Got it, in, Got there. it all in
4: there. I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting the practice in Deborah. It's, it's well perfect. you just allowed me to talk, so I just went on and on. If you're not gonna stop me, I'm gonna keep going.
1: <laughs> well done. This is the problem with microphones. How did your wife feel about all of this? How did she first going back to the how did she feel about it extending from two weeks to twenty months? Well, and then turning it into a TV show?
4: Uh, Yeah, two very separate questions. I mean, the first thing was uh, she didn't know Harry at all when he moved in. Like I say, met him once or twice. But you can't help but fall in love with him. He's such a wonderful guy. And when she realized what nice, you know, guy he was to have around the house she was really fine with it and 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 we're incredibly close still to this day he's the godfather to my child and and uh and so he's a huge part of our family
1: come over for shabbos dinner for sure yeah <laughs>
4: and um and and as for the show i think she thinks it's bizarre and mad and that we moved to la three and a half years ago and i promised her that we were going to be here for nine months and then we were moving home. I'm um, sensing like a
1: pattern here. And
4: here we are with a, a, a few shows on the air and we feel like we're living out the Showtime series episodes, that there is now <laughs> a series about our life on television, which is so odd. Um, so yeah, I think when it's actually out on television and she's seeing it on the TV, it'll probably be weirder for her. Uh, right now, she's only just been to one taping, so... So I guess it hasn't, you know, she's not really thinking about it. But I I also, like I say, I've said this before, but it's, you know, I mean, she's not, it's not like she's going to recognize our house or Amber Stevens West is suddenly like impersonating her. It's a very, very different uh, show that's simply inspired by that. So she didn't get casting approval? Well, she gets casting approval anyway on anything I ever (laughs) do. Like she is a wonderful, if I've, whether it be a font for a new show or a cut of a episode or. The set design of The Late Late Show, whatever I'm doing, I, I, I always trust her opinion. She's so bright and smart when it comes to this stuff that uh, she's, she's, she's brilliant to show anything to. So yes, uh, it's not that she has casting approval, but I do like to go home and show her what I'm working on and get her honest feedback and notes, which I know is a, a very corny thing to say because everyone says that, but it's, she's, she's very brilliant at it and I trust her opinion.
1: What made you want to get into the comedy space? Had you done one before? Um, we'd, I've done a bit of
4: comedy back in the UK for sure. Uh, hopefully, I'm in the comedy space on a late night uh, <laughs> you know, variety I meant sitcom, show. Um, hour. Yeah, look, I don't know. I don't think I had necessarily a plan for it. You know, Fullwell 73 is my production company. We're always looking to do new shows, whether it be a psychic show on Lifetime called Seatbelt Psychic or a Happy Together on CBS. We're always looking to do more fun things, and if a project comes across my path that excites me and attracts me, then then I'm always interested in doing new things and, and I think that one of the things that I love about the industry that we're in and the position that we as a company are in today is that uh, it keeps you inspired that you're doing so many different things from sort of live events to talk shows to psychic shows to you know unstructured reality and chop the mic or whatever it's, it, it keeps you on your toes and it, and it um, keeps you sharp I feel um, I think I'd probably get stale if I was just doing the same type of genre over and over again so I really enjoy the fact that I'm able to flip between a few shows that I'm lucky enough to EP.
1: How do you juggle all of them? Is it time management?
4: I don't know. Sometimes I worry I don't do it well enough. Um, I feel like, you know, the Late Late Show is always going to be my baby with James and Rob Crabb, and and that's always sort of the priority because it's the day job as I see it. Um, But yes, you compartmentalize time. You say, right, between 10 and 11 on this day, I'm in this edit, and I've got to focus on this room and doing this right now um and then you've got to be able to walk into the 11 o'clock and be on an entirely different show and focus exactly on that the other key is you've got to have brilliant people working on all the shows um you know we have brilliant executive producers who i'm lucky to partner with and i know that's a corny thing to say but i do mean it um whether it be tim and austin on this or whether it be rob crab on on Late Late or or Emma Conway and Sarah Jackson and Zeb Newman on Seatbelt. You know, every show, Jensen Karpon dropped the mic. I'm very, very fortunate that we've got great partners on every show that we do. Um, And and some of the shows need a bit more help and guidance and and other shows. You know, Eric Pankowski runs Carpool for Apple and he does such a phenomenal job that actually I'm involved in the casting of it and I'm involved in the – Editing of it with him, but ultimately the actual shoot day and the work that goes into it, he's just got it. You know, it's the second season now with 40 episodes in and, and he's just brilliant. And so um, you've got to surround yourself with very good people. And if you surround yourself with very good people, then you end up looking very good. <laughs> and, um, and you can make a variety of shows, which I want to keep being able to do because it's, it's such fun right now.
1: It does feel like there's an explosion of content happening right now. And you yeah. mentioned you've got so many different places that you can sell it. You're working at Apple and broadcast. Like, couldn't it be two more different extremes.
4: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I love the fact that we're making, you know, an 8.30 CBS sitcom. And at the same time, we're doing shows for Apple and Snapchat. It's, it's a really uh, great time to be making good stuff. And the other sort of satisfying thing about it Maybe less so on an eight thirty schedule on a Monday night, but the other thing, and I think I've said this to you before when we've chatted. Right now, if you're making good content, people will see it because the days of sort of schedules and lead-ins and uh, are becoming less and less important. Um, like I say, I'm not. That's less regards to Happy Together, but the other shows that we make, you know, the good. St- it's like oil and water. The good stuff will always rise to the top, and and people will find. Stuff on their phones and at their lunch break and 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 that 's how people consume content you know we 've always said on the late late show our egos would never cope with making a show for twelve thirty seven at night I mean what would be the point? So we make a show that launches at twelve thirty seven at night that you can watch in the morning and you can watch at lunchtime or you can watch in prime time um, i don 't think of our competition as Seth or Nightline; I think of our competition as seth Nightline, Ellen Fallon, the news the sitcoms you know because happy together happy together <laughs> because we are if you make great content whatever it is whether it be a carpool or tom cruise jumping out of a plane you hope people will come to it wh- whenever they can
1: how do you keep raising the bar for yourself i mean you know late late show I mean, we've been talking about this since the beginning you guys really came out there on fire but you know then there was the um, paul mccartney carpool karaoke and tom cruise jumping out of a plane like yeah. you keep pulling new tricks out of the hat
4: i know we've had a good little run I mean, I don't know. I think that it's... a. I I mean, again, I think it's a great writing staff. It's a great producing team. And we're working with James Corden, who I think is a phenomenon. Like, I really do. I think that, like, I know, of course, I'm biased because he's my mate and I love him and he's my partner. But ultimately, I just don't know anybody else who has that many talents, who can do every day. He wants to make a variety show. He is hungry for us to throw him tough bits and comedy and sketches and songs and dance routines and stunts and a day where he sits behind a desk tells a few jokes and then interviews somebody on the new project is a day that he goes home sad because he's like i anyone could have done that job today you didn't need me you could have got anybody and so when you are faced with that as a leader in james it makes you better because you're like, okay, right, well, we've got Paul McCartney, that's great, but we've done carpals before let's do a huge stunt in a pub or we've got Tom Cruise and he trusts us because we've done Tom's cruise on the river Thames Cordon, which is a really funny sketch, which if you haven't seen, you should, where we did a themed cruise in London uh, with Tom and he's had a great experience with us and he's like, right, I've got Mission Impossible. What's next? What, what have you got for me?
1: So how um, did you convince James to jump out of a plane? James
4: convinced us to You're jump kidding. out of a plane. So the way it happened was this. Uh, we... I'm going to be honest with you, Deborah.
1: Yes, no one's listening. We are
4: all slightly in love with Tom Cruise. <laughs> we are. Uh, there is a there is a guest who is when he comes on our show, uh, the kindest, most warm um, time for everybody uh he's just a phenomenal guest on our show and i and i think we've developed a really lovely relationship with him as a show and a talent Mm -hmm. in that you know we ask him to do things whether it's acting out his whole film career or whatever it's been which we've done and he always you know his films always do well off the back of it millions of people watch the clips and i think he has a real sense of pride in the stuff he does with our show so james um sent him a message about uh two months uh, no that's not true sent him a message saying i really want to do something fun on the show maybe a stunt or whatever um we couldn't we weren't sure that we were going to be able to make it happen with the dates uh, but we had a feeling that we could he then came on the show and james started goading him on um essentially the idea was we were going to recreate one of the stunts it wasn't jumping out of a plane it was something else that i'm lost thinking of what that could be but there was another thing that they were going to do it'll come back to me in a second anyway he comes on the show james is having a bit of fun with him saying you know these stunts you know what's that all about and tom knowing that we wanted to do something very ambitious with him um like a motorbike challenge or whatever it was knew what we wanted to do and he's sort of twisting it when well, why don't you jump out of a plane with me and at that point he sort of laid down the gauntlet i knew as soon as he said it that James was going to be over the moon by that Mm -hmm. because James has always wanted to jump out of a plane. And actually, although he did the whole, oh, I couldn't possibly, he actually was like, me and Tom Cruise jumping out of a plane this week, I'm in. Um, Of course, when he actually got there and he's in Paris, California, and we're in the middle of nowhere and he's actually... You know, you can see James on that flight on the way up. He is nervous. We're I know that nervous. I've been yeah. that
1: person. Yeah, yeah I know no. that. Have you
4: jumped out of a plane? No,
1: I would never jump out of a plane. But I've yeah. got like parasailing, and it's that moment when you're sitting on the dock yeah. where the thing's about to take off, and you're yes. like, "Nope, I'm out. I'm not no, doing No, he
4: was. I could see in his eyes he was really, really nervous. But then at the same time, he was going, "Oh, this is good telly." I could sort of see <laughs> on the one hand he's going, "Oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing this. So I might die." And on the other hand, he's going, "Yeah, but I tell you, what, it's going to be a hell of a bit on the show," which is sort of how. How he always thinks, really. Um, and it was just wonderful. Tom was great. James did brilliantly. Um, we cut it so fast. I think we cut that piece in 24 hours. Wow. Ben Stout, our editor supreme, just did a phenomenal job and turned it around for the next night on the show. And, uh, and oh, yeah. that's how
1: quickly you did it. Yeah. That's amazing.
4: Yeah. We went the next day and did it that morning. We flew at 4 a.m because tom had to be at paramount by midday so we all met at 4 a.m at van Nuys airport we got a flight together to wherever this paris place is we landed at 4:45, and all of that footage that you see is all six seven in the morning it's really That's that amazing. early it's literally as soon as the sun came up we shot it and then we flew back uh landed at van Nuys. tom went off to do whatever he did and james did a double tape that day he did a show at three and a show at five um but then he was able to leave that day and go, do you know what? Today was fun. I, it was worth me doing a late night show today because I got to really do stuff that I enjoy and challenge me and that, you know, was fun. And that's that's James really. And that's what keeps us sharp because James right now will never settle for anything that isn't the best. Um, and I love that about him. And I feel like I'm similar and so is Rob Crab. And that's why I think our show... I hope, continues to speak louder than our time slot usually allows for.
1: Is there anything he won't do? Anything off limits?
4: Oh, I'm sure. I mean I, I mean, I can't think of what that is, but there's lots of ideas that get pitched to us by the writers where we're like, that is ridiculous. We're not going to do that. But not, not in, a, not in a, like a scary way, mm-hmm. um, more in like a, you know, what's the tone of the show? Because you never want to look, you know, like if you, if you look at that Tom Cruise jumping out of a plane piece, if it was done wrong that could look quite sort of almost desperate it's like i want to jump out of a plane and me and tom we're jumping he's promoting his movie i'm promoting my show but actually it wasn't it was a really funny bit full of jokes and comedy and james being brilliant and um and and it was just a, a wonderful piece of tv i loved making it actually um and uh, it was actually quite funny our director on on the show glenn clement's we landed and he had been at that airfield for the day before as soon as he got you know they agreed they were going to do it glenn went there and he'd spent the whole day and night there and as we turned over as we started filming tom had landed it's five in the morning we land and uh we literally filmed the first scene and glenn gets a text his wife's waters have broken and he is in the middle of nowhere so we're all like oh my god what are we going to do you know and uh so Tom very sweetly we all had a photo fo- they had a photo we drew a picture on the wall with uh, you know good luck Claire giving birth with no. with Glenn in the middle and Tom and James either side pointing at Glenn and then we rushed him in a car and then um, I got to direct it which was great fun for me because uh, I get to direct less and less now with all these shows happening so so um, we had a baby uh, we had a late late show baby on the same day that Tom Cruise jumped out of a plane with James so it was a it was a, it was a big day in the show's history
1: <laughs> amazing so now that you've had Paul McCartney do a Carpool, who's how do you top that? Who's still out there I that don't you know? What you do you, need you think? To land? Well, we haven't done
4: Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. we haven't done um, Rihanna, we haven't done Jay Z or Beyonce, we haven't done the Rolling Stones. Um, they're getting tougher. Um, Ariana Grande. I mm. mean, there are people who we've still got to do, and you know, maybe we can do people second time around. I don't know. We did Justin Bieber twice, mm-hmm. and that was great fun. So um, I don't know. I think there's still lots of great people to do it with, and. And we'll keep doing it as long as people still keep watching it. And uh, I think Paul's Carpool definitely helped. Yeah. I think it really reinvigorated the brand in in a really wonderful way. Uh, we also changed it slightly, didn't mm-hmm. we? You know, we made it much more of a documentary when sort of – when Mac- when Corden met McCartney style right. vibes mm-hmm. uh, where they hung out together. And Yeah, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful thing to do. He's just an icon. And I think – I was thinking about why it did so well because, you know – couples do usually very very well you know we, we look at 20 30 million hits and it's really great uh, maybe 40 million if we're lucky obviously there's the Adele ones that are sort of 180 million but right. let's park those for a second because they are they are the abnormal ones but usually the older artists don't do that well online they do very well on the television but they don't necessarily get more than 15 to 20 million hits because i think the older artists fan bases are less in the youtube facebook space sure. makes sense um, so i i didn't expect for a minute that the Paul McCartney one would get over 20, 25, 30 million. I thought we'd be very lucky to get that. Not because I didn't think it was brilliant. I really did. But I was very aware, you know, he is a slightly older artist. You know, I don't think anyone would mind me saying that. Um, And so I didn't know if the online community would really come to it. And and we're at something like 120 million hits right now. And I think that part of the reason is um, the Beatles music and the messaging behind what, Paul exists for, you know, giving peace a chance and and letting it be. And and all you need is love. And I think that there's never been a time where people have needed that music more. I shouldn't say there's never been a time. That's a silly thing to say with with our chequered history. But I think that right now, now. I think right now now. it was very much people going, the message in his song has been as relevant today Mm -hmm. as it's ever been. And... That was why I think it resonated. I think that's why people felt the need to share it. That's why everybody from both sides mm-hmm. could be slightly less angry for a minute and um, and really uh, sort of enjoy it and just take it in. and And it made people who grew up with Paul McCartney take a walk down memory lane. You know, my mother just was besotted by it she was paul mccartney obsessed she couldn't believe that we were making it she was Mm -hmm. so excited and it allowed her to remember you know her youth and loving paul and and it remembered and it spoke to a new generation and a younger generation um who maybe hasn't necessarily heard so much of paul's music apart from when the parents are playing it to them and they were like wow this is amazing and it speaks to me um and i'm I'm so happy that did as well as it did because he's an icon and a legend, and, and it was the sort of carpool that deserved to get the viewing that it got. Um, so, yeah, that was a very special thing.
1: Set so the bar kind of high for the next one. I think so, so, last question because I know you need to go. Um, any chance of Harry Styles showing up in Happy Together? None. <laughs> um,
4: no, he's going to leave. Um, he's, I don't think he's going to do much acting. He popped into the set last week, he's been on tour. <laughs> So he hasn't been able to be on set at all, really, because he's literally just finished tour last week. But he was on tour in LA, so he managed to come to the set and meet the cast and hang out and really enjoyed it. Um, I think. Did he give any notes? He, he didn't give any notes. No, but we did all make a joke that he should. I think he's happy to leave it to Tim and Austin and 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 me and and the rest of the gang. Um, but yeah, I think he's you know he's happy that it's happening and. Uh, and I think he's, I don't think, I can't imagine Harry's going to have the time to day-to-day be involved in this show. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's a really exciting thing for us to be doing. Perfect.
2: Thank you so much. My it's pleasure. Been a pleasure. Lovely
4: chatting to you.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about the second season of Making a Murderer with filmmakers Laura Ricciardi and Maura Demas. And if you like the show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know, too, who you want to hear from. What stars and producers should we invite on the show? Email us at podcasts at variety.com. See you next time.
2: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW proof. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.